Well, Thad, good morning. It is great to have you part of the Summit family uh, today. Man, it's, it's just so good to be with you. I want to pray, and uh, then I want you to just introduce yourself to our folks here in Maine, um, and, uh, and we'll get started. God, we just uh, pray that you would take this time today and uh, that you'd use it for your glory. God, I pray for every person watching this, every person that will watch this, God, that they would be touched um, through your word that Thad and I are going to share uh, here today. And so, God, we give you this time. Open our hearts and our ears to hear what you would have to say to us. May we receive it today in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Thad, coming to us yeah. from Carolina. How's North Carolina? And tell us, man, who you are and what you're doing. Yeah, first, I just want to say hello, Summit Church. It is so good to be with you guys, even virtually today. Um, this summer, I think, will mark four years that actually a mission team from South Coast came to Rocky Mount. Travis, you led them. Yeah. It's great people. Gosh, some solid, loving people came and blessed us and uh, poured a concrete pad put two basketball goals up, fenced in our yard, helped paint our windows, and did some really did really kind and loving things for the kids in our community. And I'm telling you, we still have kids playing on those basketball, well, that court, those basketball goals have been long gone. Uh, we've been through three iterations of basketball goals since. But, um, you know, it was really neat. Easter weekend, uh, some of the kids, who were a part of the events that you guys put on for us, the basketball training and the, the tournament and stuff like that. Uh, and the kids who lived in our neighborhood who played on those courts every single day moved away. But that weekend, they came back. And for four days straight, they were playing on, the, on, those, on that court like it, was, like it was yesterday. That's awesome. It was really good. Just really good to see um, some Anyways, thank you so much for your investment, Travis, and us, and for um, folks at Summit, your investment in us as well. So yeah, I'm Thad Harris. Uh, Lori and I have been married 20 years. We have six kids, and we moved to Rocky Mount from Dallas in 2012. And we moved, we left um, a great church, a great group of friends. Uh, to plant Fellowship Bible Church Rocky Mount, and our first iteration failed, uh, but God picked us right back up a month later, and three months after the closure of, of what we call 1.0, um, there was a new church beginning, and we're five years in to that second expression, mm. and thanks to God, it's a healthy group of people, and uh, we're a healthy small body. Uh, I'm a bivocational church planner slash pastor, whatever you want to call me. I work full-time for a construction company, and I do business development for this company. I've been here since we moved from Dallas. We live in the heart of Rocky Mount. Uh, you may want to call it with the working poor. And um, interestingly enough, our neighborhood at large is probably being gentrified right now. So the dynamics of that community is changing, but we're still there. And uh, it's it's good it's good to be in Rocky Mount right now, and it's good to, good to just be a part of what guys are doing where we are. Amen. We're Amen. content Amen. with it. And 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 I mentioned this in the beginning, but just just for the personal connection, because um, because our our folks will love to hear this. 
Uh, I was called to ministry at 16 over at Inglewood Baptist Church, Joe Tanner. And, uh, and one of the things that Joe said to me that night was, you need to go get you a mentor. <laughs> and I had met you a couple of times before and remember coming up to you and just saying, Hey, I, I'm supposed to get a mentor. Would you be willing to mentor me? And, uh, and you did, you were my first mentor and we're still talking now home. I mean, September will be 20 years later, um, which is, that's, that's great. That's unreal. Um, but you know, we've, we, yeah. So summit, I talked a couple of weeks ago about walking with people and uh, it has, it has been one of the deepest joys of mine to walk with mm-hmm. you kind of in and out of life. And I'm just so, so thankful for you. and wanted to say that publicly here on the recording. I love you too, man. So we're talking about anxiety and depression today and mm-hmm. COVID, the effects of COVID I, I heard today I was talking with um, I was talking with a guy in Pennsylvania today that uh, basically is calling a bunch of Maine pastors every week and just checking in on them. Mm. Just he was sharing with me how many pastors he's talking to right now that are just struggling, um, mm. and and with the wisdom to know what to do and and different things. Um, but I know you've walked through some of these things over the last few years since we were there four years ago. And I still get asked frequently when a hurricane comes through North Carolina or something yeah. like that, I get asked by a few guys in the church, is the fence still standing? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so, fence <laughs> and the deck rails are still standing. That's great. Yes. Yeah. But I know since then, the last four years uh-huh. has not been um, – has, has not been the easiest for you. Uh, lots happened. And so I didn't know if you'd walk us through some of that and launch us into kind of our discussion on, on, on this today. Yeah, I would love to share. So Travis, as you recall, um, three years ago, this past March, I came home from work. It was a normal afternoon. I felt totally fine. Uh, and I, I know I felt fine because I was going to tackle an oven repair project, which is something Fat Harris does not do, right? You know that. You should have flew and me down for it. I should have. Oh, yes, there's several people from your church I would, would have uh, needed to fly, fly down. But no, so I opened the oven door and I began to take it off its hinges and I didn't do it right, which doesn't surprise me. And the, the hinges, something snapped on both my thumbs small little, very small little injury, but um, the, the blood immediately was running out of my head as quick as I could, could think, and the next thing I knew, I was on the floor, and when I was on the ground, uh, every part of me began going completely numb, uh, everything, and it was going so fast, my extremities, uh, Lori was trying to shove bananas down my throat, thinking maybe I just hadn't eaten well, it was Lent, so we were doing a, a fast, a Daniel fast. And so it, we were thinking, I just hadn't eaten well that day. And um, my throat started to close up and become almost like numb where I couldn't tell whether I was breathing or not. And I just said, Lord, you've got to call the ambulance. And uh, well, the ambulance came and they said, you just got dehydrated and uh, hyperventilated as well. You just take a rest and eat you some stuff and you'll be fine. I still have syncope, so I'm passing out. 
all afternoon. My legs are shaking. I can't stop them. And so I go to the NAS hospital and they test me for various things and they send me home. They said, we, you look fine to us. Um, three days later, my wife's in Asheville, North Carolina for a, uh, just a ladies retreat. And I'm at home by myself and the anxiety and this dark hole just start to surround me. And when I go to use the bathroom, one of my legs is numb, paralyzed. Like I can't use it, can't walk. And through the weekend, increasingly the anxiety grew for me and this black hole just surrounded me. I called her Saturday night of that weekend. I said, look, I hate to do this, but I need to come home. Uh, things aren't good. And so the next morning she took me to another hospital and they, they admitted me. And for four days they did tests, all kind of physical tests. And basically they saw nothing wrong whatsoever with me is a lot physiologically and on the fourth there was this team of doctors that would come in several times a day and the last day uh, one of the doctors came in and asked several questions around grief around loss around depression although they use the word depression and um, the way they asked the questions uh, my answers were affirmative every time and I was surprised at that but at this point, I've been laying in a hospital bed, unable to move for four days. Uh, the last thing I'm going to do is try to act like I got my junk together, you know. And so I just honestly answered. And he says, I think you have depression. And he says, but what, what's, called, what, what's related to that depression is this thing called conversion disorder. And the idea is conversion disorder is when stress and anxiety uh, affect the subconscious level of your brain to such a high level that it converts that into neurological symptoms. So the source of my paralysis, the source of all that was happening to me physiologically was all stress and anxiety at the subconscious level. It was a psychological source of my physiological ailment. And he said, you need to see a psychiatrist. And um, I had never heard of this before. I went to my doctor shortly after. She said, yeah, I see a lot of people who say that's what they have, but rarely believe that's what they have. I said, well, I'll, I guess I'll just be naive enough to believe it, but I'm going to run this path. And um, I had a mentor in Dallas who was a licensed counselor who said, after the diagnosis, he said, Dad, you need to go away to a 30-day mental health facility. It's a help. So I did. I went to a place in Tennessee and stayed there for 30 days. And when you go in, it's like a mental health hospital clinic. So it's super sterile, strip searched. Uh, they take everything from you uh, except the basics. And they diagnose you for a couple of days to see what's going on. And there they diagnosed me three different doctors with bipolar, one, uh, missed mixed episodes in rapid cycling, uh, plus PTSD, and obviously the continued diagnosis of conversion disorder, which the interesting thing, the, um, the head doctor of the place I went led the psychiatric department 
for Vanderbilt in Nashville, Tennessee. And so knew all about conversion disorder, said there, we're gonna be able to fix this and get you the help you need and you'll be back up and running. So sure enough, um, I was able, probably within 14 days, of I was able to drop the cane, had to walk with a cane and relearn just walking again. And um, also learned what was broken with my mind. And a lot of that centered around anxiety. And I didn't realize how deep anxiety was a part of my life until I took that time to talk with the right people, to learn the right things, and uh, to begin the treatment that I needed. So uh, yeah, anxiety, and I still deal with anxiety. I deal with it today. I've learned to detect it and learn to begin to address it immediately when I sense it within me. But anxiety is probably something I think I'm going to deal with every day of my life. And um, as well as other things, but yeah. yeah. One, one, of the, one of the things that, that struck me about what you said uh, in a big way is that, you know, I've been, I've been laying in a hospital for four days, you know, like not able to move, not able to do anything. And, and you know, I, I think the, 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 the thing that I've been wrestling with the last few weeks is how so many of us numb ourselves mm. to where we don't even feel these yeah. things yeah. until it's too late, until burnout happens, until we hit a wall because we're not willing to own the weakness. We're not yeah. willing to come to grip yeah. with the weakness. I, yeah. was, I was talking with a counselor one time and he said, you know how they... Uh, you know how they catch a monkey, and I think it's I think it's Africa or something like that. They 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 cut a hole in a coconut, and they stick a banana down in the coconut, and yes. and the the monkey will stick his hand in there, grab the banana, and then try to pull it out. But because he's now got a fist, he can't he can't get it out of there. And, and he's not that, letting go, is he? Not letting go of that banana because he's finally got a grasp of it, right? Yes. And it's linked to a chain, and so he's stuck. And that's how they catch monkeys. Wow. And so, so many of us, right, don't have the awareness, right, that we're just hanging on to a banana. Yeah. Um, and and uh, and then we don't see it, and it, and then it just wreaks havoc. Um, but we we could talk for hours and. And, uh, and, and, and I know we could, but, but I want to, I want to keep going because this has such a stigma in the church. Yeah. Here you are, right. Sharing yeah. that, right. You've got a diagnosis. Yeah. Um, some, some people may even say, you know, how, how in the world could you wrestle with being bipolar and, and preach and, and be a pastor? Yeah. How could you, you know, how can you do those things? What are some yeah. of the myths, right? What are some of the myths within the church that we just need to debunk, that we need to, that we need to put to rest right here and right now when it comes to anxiety and depression, whether that's something pre-COVID or whether that's something we're dealing with? Um, right now as a result of the last few months here? What are some of those myths that we need to put to rest? Yeah, I, I, think, I think the 
first myth is this. It's the myth that you can't love God hmm. and at the same time experience anxiety. I know that's a myth. I know it. That, that, is, that is so far from truth. Hmm. Another hmm. myth is that it is mental health, mental illnesses, any type of condition coming from maybe a dysfunction of the mind is spiritual warfare. That's a myth. That's not true. We don't see that anywhere in the scriptures. Hmm. Do people who are possessed by demons, if I've ever known one, do they experience a mental breakdown? Yes. But that doesn't mean people are experiencing a mental breakdown of any kind. Or an emotional instability doesn't mean that they are just surrounded by the darknesses of the devil. And I'm not playing down spiritual warfare. What I am saying is we cannot blame spiritual warfare for mental illnesses um, or any kind of mental health um, we say weakness. You mentioned earlier weakness, right? We can't blame that. There's one last one I think I've got to get to. And you mentioned one that I think I want to hit on later, but it, here's the one I want to say first, and that is this: anxiety, depression, mental illnesses, poor mental health. It is not equated as a one-to-one with sin. It is not. And for us to label any and or all types of mental illnesses and poor mental health to sin in a person's life is missing the idea of sin. Because the idea of sin, if I can boil sin down to one thing, it's loving anything more than I love God. That's got nothing to do with a mental health condition. Now, can I go back to the garden where Adam and Eve ate the fruit and say, well, yes, this big category sin brought in suffering. Yes, I get that. But my day-to-day, I cannot always blame it on sin. And here's the thing, myself included, but what I've learned is that shame is always, or most of the time, it's associated with feelings of anxiety. Whenever there's a poor mental health, or mental illness, shame is always associated. One of the things I can tell you is this, is that, yeah, you get it, because I know what you, I know what you preach, Travis. I know your heart for your people and how you love your people. Man, that shame is something that God wants to eradicate, right? It's not something he wants to heap on us. He's not the God of shame. And I think, and I think so often, I think, I think so often, man, that, that, you know, we're the, you've, you've heard the saying, right? We're the only army that shoots our wounded mm-hmm. when it comes to the church, you know? And, and I think, yeah, I mean, somebody's walking through anxiety or depression or, 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 or mental health, right? Mental illness. Uh, there, there must be a scent, right? That's, that's shaming them. Yes. 
and yes and i heard a worship leader one time that was leading worship he said you know we we say shame on you way too often he said i i say tonight shame off you yes like, that's a good word you know and, and like we've got to we've got to stop you know full house yeah. cut it out you know we've got to stop shaming people that are dealing with real well, things and, in their life and let's do this, Travis. Let's start with stopping shaming ourselves. We're our worst critic in this, Travis. I, I have realized that I am my biggest critic. It's a self-critical voice that comes with anxiety and comes with depression. It comes with poor mental health. It always comes with it. And one of the things I have had to work so hard on, and I even have to do it today, matter of fact, Right here beside me at work, I've got a list of the, the spiritual blessings that we have as the beloved. And every day I have to meditate on one of those. Every day. Because if I don't, I am I'm beating up fat. I am hating the weakness I have, right? I'm wishing God put another man in my body for Lori and my kids. I'm wishing there was another man that God put in my body. For fellowship, Rocky Mount, right? Because I feel like this, this weakness that I bring to almost every sermon I preach, to every day, almost to every relationship, right? It's affected to some degree, and I'm aware of that. I have to remind myself how loved I am by God because I forget it. I just forget it. And a lot of times I allow that shame to dominate my thoughts of myself. And, you know, we have such a, we have such a negative, we have, we have such a negative connotation, meaning of weakness. You know, I mentioned, I mentioned weakness a few minutes ago, but Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly. Yes. Yes owning it right and 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 for years and, and you know for for years um uh my you know my wife Kristen's gonna say this is my threeness on the enneagram right that um that that for years i just tried to sweep all weaknesses under the rug because i wanted to appear right that i that i had it all together and that 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 there were no weaknesses here in this guy right and now everybody watching this that's met me for five minutes <laughs> laughing, right? As you are. Uh, but, but I think, I think one of the marks of maturity and the believer is almost leading with their weakness almost. And what I mean by that is owning that and using that right for, you know, for the glory of God, right? I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses because, um, you know, I've got people in my life that, 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 uh, are strong in areas that, that I'm weak. Um, yeah. and, and that's, Travis, that's the way God designed the thing. That's good news. Yeah. And that's good news. So going to that verse you just quoted from Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, he says, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, right? For me, it's bipolar one. Uh, it's PTSD that I have or conversion disorder that I experienced, right? There was given to me a thorn in my flesh that I might not exalt myself. And for Paul, it was because of the amazing dynamic of the revelations he had. He was taken to the third heavens 
got a vision of God. And he said, this was given to me to keep me humble. He said, I prayed three times that God would take this away from me. And every time God replied with the same thing, my grace, my unmerited favor, my unconditional love, my loyalty to you, my desire to bless you, to never leave you. That is sufficient for you, Paul. So God left the weakness in me so that Paul could bathe in grace and be lavished in grace every day of his life so that his preaching wouldn't come from the standpoint of I'm the only guy who's been to the third heavens. Y'all need to listen up. He stood there with his weakness fully exposed every time he preached and taught. And he had to depend on the grace of God. And what he learned through that dependence on the grace of God day in and day out led him to say, so I realize that God's power is made perfect. Therefore, all the more gladly I boast in my weaknesses for when I'm weak and I'm strong. That's our hope. That's our hope as believers. Right, that it's you know, mindful meditation is a great practice to help me relieve anxiety. But let me tell you what a bath in grace does an amazing job as well, right? Amen. That's what Paul was saying. Yeah, thank, thank yeah. you. And that, and that, that, that preaches, you know, and that, that kind of leads me to, to segue this way. You know, I, I think one of the, the myths that I thought about within the church when it comes to this, when it comes to mental health, is that the Bible doesn't, doesn't have anything to say about it. You know, that, that, yeah. I, and almost yeah, I'm that with you. there's no place in the church for this. Like, like we, we just, you know, we don't want to touch this in the church, this conversation, even this conversation is probably considered edgy in a lot, in a lot of churches. I mean, let's just, let's be honest, right? We're, we're going to a place that's, that's not comfortable for everybody. Yeah. Right. Um, so, so I want to talk about, because when I called you and asked you to do this, when I called you on a Friday night with a crazy idea and you said, let's do it. You basically went on for about 30, 35 minutes and, and just, you know, shared your story, everything you've already shared. And then, you you started talking about how Jesus identifies with us in these things. Yes. And and I, I just didn't know if we could take piece by piece. So I'm I'm just gonna throw one at you and then throw you, it out. you you throw the reference at us and we'll we'll try to do our best with putting the verses on the screen, sum it. But this comes right. from Matthew 6, 26 through 34. Jesus in nature. So talk to us about how Jesus identifies with us in mental in, in mental health. In nature. Yeah, great, great point. So, first of all, Matthew 6 is the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, so he is, he's talked about the Beatitudes, he's talked about a life of uh, connection with God in prayer, right? And then what he does is here he gets to this idea of don't worry about your life what you will eat, what you will drink. And what he says is, he basically says, look at the birds of the air. He says, literally, like, stop 
your life and go sit in nature and go look at the birds, that they do not worry about what they're going to eat because the father feeds them. And he looks at his, his hearers, the audience, and he says, are you not more valuable than them? And he says in another place, he says, if two sparrows fall to death, father knows. Your father knows they've died. And he looks at his disciples and he says, you're more valuable. He knows what you need. Matter of fact, in this prayer, he says, before you even pray a word to God, he knows exactly what you need. Right? That is a loving father. Then he says, go out and look at the flowers. Like literally, go out, sit in a field and look at flowers and think about flowers. And he says, see how beautiful they are. Right? Just look at how beautiful. Meditate on that. He says, and not, not Solomon, in all of Solomon's splendor and all his riches, in all his wealth compares to how they're clothed by God. He says, so your father will clothe It's this idea that, that the love and the grace of God, the provision of God is in nature. And there is something that happens to us, even in the just being in the sun, right? That our body needs the vitamin D, which helps to keep some of those anxiety levels at bay and keeps our mood up, right? Like God has done so much in nature to give us a fullness, a more fullness of life, a very peaceful life. And I think we're so busy, Travis. I know I've been, I've been, look, I'm bipolar one, man. Without my medication and without my therapy, I can rock a mania with the best of them. Are you with me? Yeah. And I can run as fast as, as anybody without medication, without therapy, without a support team, without boundaries. And what I'm trying to say is this, I know for a fact, I run so fast for so long. Like you said earlier today, I didn't have a clue how I was, right? And um, I got a chance to reboot though, right? That's what the conversion disorder was for me. It was God's grace to reboot. And I'm telling you, every chance I get just to walk in a green belt we have by our house and get in, it's called Battle Park and it's a part by a river every chance I get. I try to walk three, four, five days a week if I can. I love to hike. And so Jesus is telling us to stop. Matter of fact, in Luke, this is beautiful. I love it. And look, if you track Jesus's prayer pattern in Luke, every time animosity grew among them, what did he do? He left the crowd, went into the wilderness by himself and prayed. He just spent time letting the Father love him in the wilderness, away from the things that cause our minds to be so cluttered, right? The nature declutters our minds and focuses on grace. I love in Genesis, you know, we get to right at the start. Um, God created the tree. The, the, I, think it, I think it actually says, Genesis, God created the trees for Adam to enjoy, right? And, yeah. And just... You know, and it goes right with what you're saying. Get get in the trees. I love hiking too. We're we're mountain guys. Uh, yes, you and I, and um and and definitely. I mean, I think that's a that's a huge part of it. And it's it's good to see. I mean, it's it's comforting to see right Jesus addressing that right here in the Sermon on the Mount. 
You know, he, he wraps that whole thing up, verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious about itself. How, how, often, word. how often do we get so stressed out about yeah. coming and, you know, yeah. so on and so forth? Uh, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble, you know, and, um, and, and that's so good. The second place that you mentioned is from Luke 22, Jesus in yeah. the garden where he had yes. Talk, take, take us there. So Luke, the physician, gives us something that the other authors don't give us about the story. And that is his physician fascination with the sweating drops of blood. It's a, a real condition called hematidrosis. And it's when the blood vessel capillaries under intense stress and anxiety, anguish, they burst in the sweat glands and you literally sweat the blood from the capillary vessels that have burst under stress and anxiety that's what's happening in luke luke's telling us by the sweating and the dropping jesus was under great anxiety great anguish great stress there's a son of man son of god who came to earth fully god fully man. He was in every way a human like we are, yet without sin. And look what happens. His body reacts violently to the stress and anguish and anxiety he was under. And that right there for me is at least one point in scripture where I go to say, you cannot say that anxiety, stress, and anguish is related to sin. Impossible. I know that that you could easily say, well, understandably, look what he was facing. Yeah, exactly. He faced a great, 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 great um, undertaking in the cross. One that we'll probably never know anything like, anything. But what Jesus does, and I love this, and you, I may be jumping ahead, Travis, but um, forgive me if I am. Jesus said in Matthew 11, he said, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. And he says, take upon, right, my yoke, my burden. And he says, I am lowly. I'm lowly. And what he does is when you're in, in anxiety, depression, and grief, you feel like you can't get any lower than what you are. It's a huge feeling of lowliness. When Jesus says, come to me because I'm lowly, what he's saying is, I know exactly what grief, anxiety, anguish, I know what it's like. And I will come to you and you can come to me. I'm not going to shame you. I'm going to love you and accept you. So I know. I think that's how Jesus, I think that's what the invitation of Jesus is in Matthew 11. One of the things that, that you said earlier is that he, feel, he feels the weight. Yeah. You know, he, he feels the weight. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, I think for some people, that's why we hold it in, right? Yeah. It's because we don't want to be a burden. Mm. We don't, we, we fear that people won't understand. We feel that, we fear that we'll be blacklisted. Yeah, we fear that, um, you know, we, you know, we fear those things, and so we just, 
well, no one feels the weight, so I'm just going to sweep this under the rug. And all it does is build up and build up and build up, build up. Yes. But we serve a God that feels the weight of what we're walking through. And invites us to cast our anxiety on him. In other words, throw it. Throw it on me. I can carry it and I want to carry it for you. Yeah, that's hard to do. It's hard to do. I want to I want to jump back to one more because yeah. when you talked about it that Friday night, I had never looked at it in this way, and I think it's really fascinating. So we'll hit this, and then we'll and then we'll kind of we'll kind of jump to the end. But talk to us about Jesus and Jairus. Ah, Mark five twenty one through twenty four because I, I loved what you brought to light with this. Okay, so Jairus is a ruler of the synagogue, and he came to Jesus because his 12-year-old daughter is dying. So Jesus goes, and in the root, there is a lady who has a blood hemorrhage of 12 years who touches Jesus' robe, and Jesus stops and says, who touched me? And uh, she, as a religious and social outcast, should not have been there, finally raises her hands, as I did, and Jesus calls her daughter. Only time Jesus ever calls a lady that type of affection, right? And um, here's Jairus. I can only imagine what he's thinking. His daughter's dying and Jesus is stopping, like not rushing to get to the house, right? This lady's not dying. We can come back or she can come with us, right? And we can do this healing at the house, but let's go. I think Jesus wanted Jairus to hear him. just to be reminded of the love he has for the hurt. And so Jesus, after that incident, he goes on with Jairus and Jairus is actually stopped by people from his house. They say, she's dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. She's gone. It's done. Jesus said, no, she's not. She's sleeping. And so they go and they're singing and wailing. And Jesus is like, everybody out. She's only sleeping. She's not dead. They start mocking Jesus, laughing at him. Jesus moves into the room, takes Jairus, takes Peter, and a few others, and Jesus commands her to rise, and she does. And this is the beautiful moment of Jesus, because at this point, those of us who grew up in more evangelical backgrounds would say, what an amazing opportunity to go tell somebody this message. And Jesus looks at him and says, don't tell anyone. He says, bring some And I think what Jesus is saying here is this, Jairus, you have no clue the anxiety, the stress you've been under. I know you have a high-profile job as the ruler of the synagogue. It was the center point of life. Um, but Jesus said, nope, don't worry about telling anybody this. Like, like no evangelism. No church leadership, right? right? None of that. No report to the crowd who've been asking and wondering and worrying and praying. No. Stay here. Rest. In other words, the first thing Jesus tells his family who's been hurting, they've just entered grief. They've been wailing and mourning her death. It was rest and eat. And I think what Jesus is telling us is that it is good and right and almost obedient to say no to all the responsibilities we have 
except for the responsibility of caring for ourselves and our most immediate loved ones. It's okay to rest. It's okay to eat just as a family. It's okay to just slow life down and stop life, to just be. Um, and, and I think, I, I, yeah, go ahead, Travis. Yeah, because let me, let me jump in there. And, and we, I think we've even talked about this over the years, how, you know, it, it, it's almost like a badge of honor. Who can be the busiest? Who can yeah. have the most people over for dinner? Yes. Who can make, who can disciple the most people? Who can make the most hospital visits? Who can, you know? Yes. I was, I was talking about this uh, with, with somebody earlier too. You know, when I used to go to conferences all the time down in the South, no conference really come to, no, no ministry pastoral conferences come to New England. <laughs> Sorry. It's rare. You got to go to Connecticut or New York to get it. Um, but I used to go to conferences down South and everything was a metric. Everything was a competition metric. And it's like, no wonder all these pastors are burning out. No wonder um, we're, 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 we're seeing this left and right because, because we wear it like a badge of honor. We do all these, and here's the permission, right? You're you're basically saying, hey, Summit Church, anybody that hears this, soul care. Yes, Amen. And and not just for you, but 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 what does it look like for you to soul care your wife, soul yeah. care your kids? Yes, shepherd that first. Yes. Travis, great word, man. So thankful that you share that with your people. Um, I actually resigned for nine months after coming back from the mental health rehabilitation facility. I didn't want to do it. But all my mentors were saying, you can't keep doing this. You need to like really back out of ministry. And I thought I was done. I thought God was done with me. I thought I wasn't getting back in. I thought like the badge of honor you talk about this shows maybe I don't have I don't have what it takes right I'm not enough but I stepped away and I'm telling you what it was the best nine years in my family's life and our marriage just to slow down and have no responsibility in a church or for a church no expectations placed upon us we were just human beings who had been redeemed by Jesus living a life and that nine months escalated a lot of my health and my growth and you know you, you <laughs> said something there and it, and it was a it was a misspeak but you actually said nine years and did i nine years middle of it, you, said, you said nine months then nine years and then nine months and and that and, and it struck me because i thought wow i bet that rest sometimes it it, it it did the work of nine years you know <laughs> in some ways and so yeah. It just, it just, yeah. yeah. And this has been, I, I want you to, I want you to do a closing like two to three minutes. And then I, I'd love it if you prayed for us. But, but I just need to say again, um, thank you. Just, just publicly, I know I've told you thank you privately, um, but you will never. No, every sermon I preach, I think of you. Every thank you. I think of those Wednesday nights in youth group. I think of um, the intern days and uh, Weston Terrace. And you have taught me so much. And uh, I just uh, am forever grateful to you as a pastor, as a husband, as a dad, 
and I look to you in all those ways as well, not in that order, obviously, but as a man as well. And uh, I'm just, I'm just so grateful for, for you and um, for you sharing your story today. Thank you. For, but for us, um, application, what would you say, you know, as a result of all of this, we've, we've talked about the myths, we've talked about your story, we've talked about, uh, you know, mental, uh, mental health from scripture. What are some practical things we can do to walk in this? What are some practical things that we can do to, to beat this? What would you say to someone right now that's just saying the last two months have taken its toll on me with this COVID thing and, and I'm not healthy. Um, what, what, what would you say from, from you, from, I, I consider you an expert in this, not because, you know, um, just, just because you, you're walking it and, and yeah. you're, you're a walking testimony in this thing. So application, well, take it. Thank you, Travis. If it's okay, I'll give a few things of application if, if they are application. And then I want to close with a story if I can um, and close out with a story. So the first thing I love AA and the 12 steps in a path of recovery, that first step, which is came to the place where I admitted I was powerless, accepted I was powerless over this. Um, that's the first place to start. We never move past our misfortune, never move through our pain if we don't first accept it with radical acceptance and we can't fight it see I think a lot of times I think we think God wants to just like bail us out with a lifesaver ring right and so we're looking for some lifesaver ring to just for God to throw at us and all we got to do is just hang on and God's taking us out of the pain or the anxiety, or the fear, right? What I've learned in my life is that I think God is actually wanting to more walk us through rather than take us out. And so at the first step of walking through with God is just accepting the journey. David, Psalm 23, yea, though, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what is he doing there? He's accepting that. He's accepting it. He's putting his hands out for God, even though I walk through this valley of death. Um, and I, uh, so that's step one. And that's a daily step for me. Like I, I want to make clear, it's not like touch one, then go to two. It's the point that's always there. Um, and Travis, I'm going to tell you, it's, it's one of my awkward points in my life. And that is a social dynamic. Uh, I, um, I, my wife tells me all the time how socially awkward I can be. And I know that I am. I know it. And I've got a lot of reasons probably for my social awkwardness. But I've learned to just own that and accept that too. And just be with people and be present with people. And I've I found in that you mentioned earlier that sometimes we don't share because we don't know what love is there in another person. We don't give others the chance to be lovers of our soul too. And uh, granted, I've, I've tried with several people, a lot of people who didn't turn out to be lovers of my soul. 
but there have been a few risks that have been taken in a social context. Um, and the reciprocal dynamic of relational strength has gotten me through a ton. The joy that comes from a sincere and authentic relationship. Travis, I'll never forget when you called me. Uh, we had just closed down 1.0 and I was in a pit of despair. You heard about it and you called me out of the blue. And man, it was the most loving thing I experienced in months. And it was so encouraging to me. I'll never forget where I was when you called, the things you said, the way you loved over the phone. Like you weren't there beside me, but and I felt like you were right in front of me, right? And that I will never forget. It. And so here's my other point. It's not just what others can do for me. A lot of times we struggle with anxiety, grief, and despair. It's such a lonely place, a heavy place that we discredit what we can offer to others. It's in the giving to others relationally or any type of service that I've found that I am built in the giving, in the serving, and in my offering of love. Whatever little bit of love I may feel like I have, I offer it and it builds. Um, Man, I think mindful meditation is a great thing. I think there is nothing that compares with scriptural meditation, though. And on day two of my hospital stay, Travis, uh, it got to its worst. I wasn't able to open my eyes. I couldn't talk. I couldn't move anything. And Lori was crying and calling a pastor in town to come and calling family members. Um, she thought there was death coming. And one of my great friends and an elder at the church here at Fellowship came. And he read Philippians over me there in the hospital room. It was just my wife. It was him. It was another friend there. And he got to that amazing part in chapter two where it talks about Jesus, right, who, who humbled himself and became a servant. And what has been because of his obedience to God and his service to the cross has been highly exalted. And Travis, I will never forget as Philippians was read over me. I could still hear, although I couldn't see and open my eyes. The nearness of Jesus to me in that time of complete weakness, utter inability to do anything spiritual on my own, so to speak. Jesus came so near to me through the scriptures. And I'm telling you, I have never experienced a more close encounter with Christ than I did in that moment of my greatest pain, fear, despair, weakness, you name it. It was there. And the meditation of the truth of God's word has done so much to just plant hope in me. And that's what I'm seeking is it's that hope in God through the word. And I don't try to kill it. I'm not doing a read the Bible in a year plan. I do one chapter in the Gospels a day. And when I finish that, I run back through it. And I have a few things on the spiritual blessings from Ephesians 1 that I meditate on. And that's it. Those things help me out. I hope that helps, Travis. Thank you for letting me be here. I love you too. I love your heart for people. You're a shepherd. And uh you inspire me every time I talk with you. 
and see you lead your people. So thanks for letting me be a part of it. Thanks. Before we pray, I feel like you should know that, uh, and, and, and this, this is stepping out for me. Um, but, uh, but I think that's just so helpful. And I think the hope in that is so strong. And I just appreciate you sharing that heart with us today. And I'll, I'll stop. I'll stop there. I'll stop there. Will you close us in prayer? I will. Father, I thank you so much for Summit Church. I thank you for their patience in listening to Travis and I this morning. I thank you so much for their willingness to learn from you, to follow your lead. God, to receive grace, to accept their weaknesses, and to even bathe in grace. Father, I'm praying that they will find in the people around them. God, I pray they'll find lovers of their souls, but I pray that they'll also find people with whom to love. God, I just ask that you would build up and strengthen Summit Church, that you might allow their influence in me to be authentic and to connect with people at a real heart level and a transparent mental level and emotional level so that we might share with people the greatest hope we have and the grace that is in Jesus Christ. Because that, Father, that grace is our greatest hope. So, Father, I pray that you walk with us through our pain, and show us that you're with us. Strengthen our faith in those challenging, trying times. God, I pray for Travis and the elders, and I pray that you will lead them to be vulnerable people in sharing their fears, their weaknesses, their anxieties with their church and their people. God, may there be a freedom to not only share who we are, but to encourage one another with the hope we have in Christ that we might grow in all of this. God, it's in your most holy name we pray. Amen. Yeah. Thank, you, Thank you. Goodbye.